0: I want to begin by asking, what are you an expert on? What are you an expert on? What do you know a lot about? Maybe it's baking. If it's baking, then I'd love to know about that. And I'd love to receive some of those expert baked goods at some point. Um, Maybe you're an expert in a particular video game, having spent a lot of hours locked up in lockdown, honing your skills at that particular game. For some of you, it might be gardening. Lydia I know is an expert in gardening, I don't know if anyone else is, or politics, or a period of history, or a particular person in history. What are you an expert on? What's your specialist subject? If you were on Mastermind answering questions on your specialist subject, what would it be? Now I don't know what it would be for each of you, I'd love to find out uh, what it is, come and tell me over dinner. Um, but one thing I know you're not an expert on is God. There's no one... Who is an expert on God. Whether you're a brand new Christian or a theologically trained Bible college lecturer with five PhDs, no one is an expert on God. That's what we're going to explore together today in this, in this topic. Now if you weren't here last week, we'd begun a new series um, called God Without Limits where we're looking at eight uh, different attributes of the God of the universe, eight ways that he is different to us his creatures. Eight things that can be said about him that can't be said of us. And and the attribute of God we're considering today is his incomprehensibility is incomprehensibility. Now I've realised this week, typing that word out a lot of times, it's a hard one to spell. So what I'd recommend doing if you're taking notes is just have an abbreviated form of that word so you don't have to write it every time. Maybe just a capital I or INC or something um, that will help you to remember that that's the word that you've got in front of you because it's hard to spell, I've, I've discovered. Now, as we think about this attribute of God, as Dan said, my prayer is that we'd go on a journey tonight um, towards greater humility (coughs) and greater joy in God. I think we're going to see that uh, week by week, really. Greater humility and greater joy. There'd be be two things to keep praying for this series. Now, I'm going to consider with you two points about God this evening. And the first one is this we can never know God fully. We can never know God fully. This is what we mean by God's incomprehensibility, as Dan said. We can't know him exhaustively. We'll never be an expert on God. I want to explain, as we begin, how that idea is different to God's omniscience. They're both about knowledge. Incomprehensibility and omniscience. Both big words, both about knowledge. And we're going to think about God's omniscience um, towards the end of the series. Here's how I find it helpful to think about it. There's a space to write this if you want to. Incomprehensibility is what can we know about God. What can we know about God? That's what we're dealing with, with incomprehensibility. And omniscience is what does God know? So what can we know about God is incomprehensibility. Omniscience, what does God know about himself and about all things, as we'll see towards the end of the series. So we're focusing today on our knowledge of God. What can we know about God? And the answer is we can't know everything there is to know about God. We'll only ever scratch the surface. We cannot plumb his depths. Now let's look at the Bible um, together. We're going to turn uh, to the Psalms to start with. Um, Turn to Psalm 145 with me in verse 3. This is a Psalm that Dan read out to us earlier, page 631. Psalm 145, verse 3. Just those first few verses of the psalm. In verses 1 and 2, the psalmist praises God, exalts God, praises his name. And then in verse 3, we read this. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. Now, I think it's hard to capture for us what the psalmist means by greatness because the word great has really lost a lot of its meaning, hasn't it? I had a great macaroni and cheese last night. It's great. (laughs) hope you're having a great day. Um, I feel great today, you know, all those kind of things. Uh, We've emptied the word great of its meaning, but Psalm 145 verse 3 is talking about something different to that. It's talking about God's bigness and his magnitude, his height and depth of his being. Great is the Lord. It's more like marvelling at the Grand Canyon than it is about commenting on a nice burger that you had one night. It's that kind of greatness that we're talking about here. And the psalmist says, God's greatness no one can fathom. I wonder if you've ever jumped into the sea in the middle of the ocean um, and you don't know how far it is to the bottom of the sea. And maybe you've had a go at just diving down and realising you're nowhere near the bottom. You have no idea how deep those <coughs> waters are. It's unfathomable. And that's what the idea that we've got here. We cannot search out the depths of God's greatness. He is limitless, as we saw last week, unfathomable, ungraspable. Let's flip forward to Psalm um, 147, verse 5, uh, to see a similar thing, Psalm 147, verse 5. We see the same thing about God's understanding. So verse 5 Great is our Lord and mighty in power, his understanding has no limit. Do you remember, last week we thought about this idea of measurement. That we uh, cannot measure God but God measures out um, the whole universe it's the same idea here God's understanding, his knowledge and ways cannot be measured, we can't bottle them up, we can't grasp them his understanding is unsearchable turn back with me to the book of Job uh, Job chapter 16, it's before the Psalms um, just the book before the Psalms page 528 um, and Job uh, 26 page 528 Um, interesting chapter this in, in Job. Uh, in Job 26, Job uh, recounts some of the awesome deeds of God, both in creation and in salvation. Um, so verse 7, he spreads out the skies over empty space. Verse 8, he wraps up the waters in his clouds. Um, he marks out the horizon on the face of the waters. Verse 10, um, then it talks about his great acts of salvation. So loads of things that God has done, some of his most powerful acts um, that he's done in creation and salvation. But then we read um, verse 14, which is interesting. Verse 14, and these are but the outer fringe of his works. How faint the whisper we hear of him. Who then can understand the thunder of his power? Do you see what Job's saying? Um, Even as we comprehend God's works in creation and salvation, we're only comprehending the outer fringe of his power and greatness. It's only a whisper compared to the weight of his glory. We cannot understand the thunder of his power. He is incomprehensible. Another uh, few verses uh, to refer you to on the sheet, Isaiah 55, um, words that you might be familiar with. Isaiah says, chapter 55, verse 8, from my thoughts, this is the Lord talking, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. There exists a gap between our thoughts and God's thoughts that is as big as the gap between the earth and the heavens. And that's the big as the gap between our ways and his ways. Romans 11 verse 33, having outlined God's plans in the gospel in chapters 9 to 11, Paul ends with this note of wonder and praise. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counsellor? See this idea of, of depth again. His wisdom and knowledge is as deep as the ocean. We cannot get to the bottom of his ways and his judgments. We cannot begin to comprehend his plans. Who has known the mind of the Lord? No one. We're seeing here in these verses, aren't we, that God is beyond comprehension. His understanding is without limit. His greatness is unsearchable. And trying to understand him is like trying to explore all the oceans of the world with a snorkel and some flippers. It's just not going to happen. And the thing that struck me this week as I've thought about this is that even those aspects of God's character that we, uh, we know well or we, we think we know well are also beyond searching out. So Ephesians chapter 3, I've been thinking about quite a bit this week. Um, read it with a, a student and then I've just been reflecting on these verses. I find it very interesting what Paul says here about God's love in the prayer that he prays for the Ephesians. So have a look on the sheet, Ephesians 3, verse 17. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I find that really interesting. Paul prays that they would know the love of Christ that God has displayed in Christ's death and resurrection. But then throws in the line to know the love that surpasses knowledge. Is it knowable or unknowable? Both. We can know God's love, can't we? We do know God's love if we're a believer today. But it is at the same time unknowable. We cannot become an expert on the love of God. Neither can we become an expert on his mercy or his justice or his greatness or his compassion. God and every aspect of God's character is beyond our comprehension. We will never be an expert on God. We will never know him fully. Now, why is this the case? I want to just pose this question. Why is God incomprehensible? Why is this the case, uh, these things that we've seen? Well, three things uh, that I want to say, There's some exciting things happening that we'll look forward to later. Why is God incomprehensible? Well, firstly, because we are finite, because we're finite. Now, I'm sure in your university degrees, if you're studying, there are aspects of your degrees that you just find unfathomable and very difficult. Um, I studied economics at uni, and it was the maths that I found very hard to get my head around. Um, I'm sure you find this with different modules that you do. Some things are just harder, aren't they, to understand. Um, theoretical physics at the PhD level is uh, beyond me. But is it just the case with God that he's just harder to understand than other topics? Is that, is that what's going on? Well, I think there's more to it than that. I don't think it's just the case that he's a harder subject to think about, but that he's in a different class. So just think uh, with me about um, a piece of pottery. Um, just imagine a mug in your cupboard that you use for your cup of tea each day, just an ordinary bit of pottery, and then compare that to what I think is pronounced as a Long vase that is worth more than $50 million dollars. That's sometimes how we think about God, isn't it? The the difference between the mug and and, and the vase. But I think a better way to think about it is to think about a difference between pottery and the potter, the one who made the clay, the one who fashioned it um, in uh, the image that he wanted. That's what the Bible says about God. It's not just that he's bigger or better or harder to understand. He's in a different class. We are creatures, and he is the creator. We have a human mind capable of human understanding, whereas his understanding is unsearchable. We saw that last week. And so we creatures cannot even begin to comprehend God. Have a look at that quote on the sheet from Edward, Edward Lee. He says, A created understanding can no more comprehend God than a vile glass can contain the waters of the sea. We will always have our learner plates on when it comes to understanding God because we are finite. But added to that fact is also the fact that we are fallen. We are finite, but we're also fallen. Romans 1 talks about our fallenness when it comes to the knowledge of God. Let me read uh, these verses. Verse 21, talking about humanity. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Paul reminds us of the foolish and absurd sinfulness of human beings. We did not give glory to our creator, but our thinking became futile and our foolish hearts were darkened. We thought we were wise, but we became fools. And so every knowledge of God that he gives to us as his creatures, we have a tendency to distort and twist and pervert to suit our own ends. We confuse the truth and we bend it to fit our preferences. And so our finiteness is coupled with our fallenness, which makes knowledge of God incredibly difficult. But the third reason God is incomprehensible is because God has hidden things from us. Have a look at Deuteronomy uh, 29, verse 29, over the page. Deuteronomy 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may follow all the words of this law. Martin Luther, um, a German theologian at the time of the Reformation, distinguished between the hidden God and the revealed God. There are things that God has chosen to reveal to his creatures. And there are things that he's chosen not to reveal to his creatures, either because we don't need to know them or because we're incapable of grasping them. So here are three reasons why God is incomprehensible. Because we are finite creatures trying to understand an infinite creator. It's impossible. Second, because we are fallen creatures who naturally distort the truth. And third, because God has chosen to hide some realities from us in his infinite wisdom. So what does all that mean uh, for our understanding of God? Let's just pause and think about that question for a moment. Well, it means that even the greatest theologians and even the most Bible-saturated Christians still have their learner plates on. They're not even yet to put on the P plates on the car because no one is an expert on God. If you imagine with me that the ceiling is a measure of who uh, God is. Now, I know he can't be measured. I've never been saying that these past couple of weeks. But imagine that the ceiling is complete knowledge of God right at the top of the ceiling. Then a baby Christian would be somewhere, I guess, down there. But where would you imagine the greatest theologian to be? up there, I think just maybe slightly above the baby Christian. God is far beyond our understanding. We've all got our learner plates on. Second implication is that there needs to be a proper place for mystery in our understanding of God. Now, I don't mean mystery in the sense of, Ooh, you know, everything we say about God is a, a stab in the dark and we're not sure what's going on. Um, but that there'll be so much about God that will remain beyond our understanding. For example, how is it that God has one divine essence, but that his essence subsists in three distinct persons of the Trinity? How can God be Father, Son, and Spirit, and be one God? How does the oneness and threeness of God work together? Or how is it that the Holy Spirit dwells in believers? How does that work? How is it that the divine nature of God was joined to human nature in one person, Jesus Christ? We could ask many more questions like these. We cannot comprehend God. We won't become an expert on God ever. We can never know him fully. So that's the first thing I want to say very clearly. We cannot know God fully. But secondly, we can know God truly. There's a danger, isn't there, with everything I've said so far, um, and the danger is one of despair. If God can't be fully known, then we're, aren't we not, are not we not destined to stumble through life blindfold? If you remember that quote from Jim Packer last week, aren't we destined just to know nothing about God? Doesn't this lead to speculation about who God might be or into a mysticism that tries to work out God on our own? Well, we need to be clear Um, what this doctrine of God's incomprehensibility means. We're not saying that God cannot be known, but that he cannot be known exhaustively. His being and character will always remain beyond our comprehension and searchable. But even though God can never be known fully, he can be known truly. But do you see what needs to happen? If all that we've said about God is true so far, do you see what needs to happen for us to know God, It needs him, doesn't it, to take the initiative to reveal himself graciously and to reveal himself in ways that human, limited creatures like me and you can understand. So we need God to be willing to make himself known to us and we need God to be able to make himself known in ways that limited creatures can grasp. And this is exactly what God has done. We could spend a long time um, on this point, but we cover God's revelation in a later series at at Real Food, also in Bible Skills, so I'm not going to go into into this a lot, I'm only going to touch on it briefly. But let me mention two of the gracious ways that God has made himself known to us. He's made himself known through his Son, and he's made himself known through the Scriptures. So firstly, he's made himself known through his Son. The invisible God that we were singing about, who alone is unsearchable and unlimited in his greatness, takes on human flesh. We began to think about this at the end of last week. The limitless one takes on limits and the invisible God makes himself visible. John uh, chapter one, verse 18 on the sheet, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the father has made him known. Jesus has made God known in his works, in his words and supremely in his death and resurrection. The invisible God is made visible to us. We're reading Matthew, aren't we, as a church at the moment? And we're we're reading about the God of the universe walking and talking and walking on water and feeding fifteen to twenty thousand people, as we saw this morning, displaying what God is like, showing us about the God of the universe. Hebrews chapter one um, verses one to three say this: In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact imprint of God's nature because he's God. And so he makes God known to us in a way that was impossible before. The prophets spoke about God, but now the world has seen God in the person of Jesus Christ. So God has graciously made himself known through his Son. He's also made himself known through the Scriptures. Now the French reformer John Calvin is helpful here because he talks about how God must make himself known to us. He reminds us that God must stoop down in order to make himself known to creatures. We all do our communication in this world, don't we? Creature to creature. So as we talk to each other, it's creature to creature. We share the same being. Whereas God needs to do his communication creator to creature, doesn't he? As the infinite one to finite ones and therefore he must stoop down. Here's how John Calvin put it. He's speaking here about the use of creaturely language in the Bible to describe what God is like. For example, saying that God rescues with his mighty arm. God doesn't have arms. And so this is an accommodation to us, revealing uh, to us what God is like, stooping down to our level. Here's what Calvin says. For who even of slight intelligence... That's a fun way to start a quote, isn't it? Who even of slight intelligence does not understand that as nurses commonly do with infants... God is wont in a measure to lisp in speaking to us. Thus such forms of speaking do not so much express clearly what God is like as accommodate the knowledge of him to our slight capacity. To do this he must descend far below, far beneath his loftiness. Let me try and explain what Calvin is saying here. Just imagine yourself speaking with a child Calvin says, that's the point here. We know that a child has limited capacity, limited understanding and we don't need to overwhelm them with difficult words or complicated concepts and so we accommodate our speech to them, don't we? We descend down, we we lisp is the the language that Calvin uses here and we do so in love because we recognise their limits and capacities. Calvin is saying God is like that with us. The Bible is God communicating himself to creatures who have a slight capacity, as Calvin said. He must descend far below his loftiness to make himself known to his creatures. This does not mean that the revelation that God gives us us is not true. It is true, but it does not give us a full knowledge of God as he knows himself, because as creatures we cannot grasp him. God gives us what we need to know in language we can understand. He doesn't always give us what we want to know. And he does so like a father speaking lovingly to his children so that they might understand what he is like. So God's incomprehensibility shouldn't lead us to a kind of false humility that throws up our hands and says, we can't know anything about God. If we say that, we're rejecting the gracious revelation of a father to his children, a creator to his creatures. And so we need to study the scriptures, the words of our father in heaven, as he makes himself known to us and teaches us what we need to know about him and about life in this world. I was reading an article in the ESV Study Bible. If you've got one of those, it's got loads of helpful articles at the back, just as a little uh, free tip there. Um, Here's one on God's incomprehensibility, and I found this, this quote helpful. It said, God has provided knowledge of himself that is personal, relational, and sufficient for fruitful, faithful, godly living. That's what God has given in his word. It's enough. He's not playing hide and seek. He's not out to deceive us. He's a loving God who knows our creaturely limitations and who has given us everything we need in the written words of the Bible to know him truly, even if we can't know him fully. Now you might have questions about that. I hope that it has raised some questions. And if you do, um, come and uh, tell me them and I'd love to try and weave those into future talks or have a bit of a question time at some point. But I just want to draw out two um, implications as we come to an end, two implications from what we've seen. Firstly, God's incomprehensibility should humble us. It should humble us. I started learning to drive as soon as I was 17, and I couldn't wait to get behind the wheel of the car, my silver Honda Civic, getting itching to get behind there and race on the road. Um, and so in a very short space of time, I did as many lessons as I could, took a test as quickly as I could so I could get on the road. Um, I hated being a learner. What about when it comes to God do you hate being a learner or are you content for your posture to always be learner with your learner plates on never moving past the position of creature never graduating on to full knowledge of God one thing we can learn from God's incomprehensibility is that the first step towards godliness is actually acknowledging our ignorance of who he is I remember writing our first prayer letter when we went down to Bible College in 2017 and I remember quoting uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 10, which, which is Paul praying that they would grow in the knowledge of God. Great prayer to pray. And I, and I sent the letter saying, please pray that I would grow in the knowledge of God through these studies. By God's grace, that prayer was answered, but I also realised something else during those three years, that the more I knew about God, the more I realised just how much I didn't know about him that I went deeper and going deeper realizes just how vast um, God is. It was a long lesson, really, in opening my eyes to my own ignorance, even as God led me by the hand towards more understanding of him. So we need to be content, um, never mo- to move beyond God's revelation, and to know that we will be learners till we die. If That would be a chant that you can sing at uni. All of our thoughts about God, all of our words about him, We'll only be scratching the surface of his infinite greatness. And we know so much, don't we? And we feel like we know so much. Just scratching the surface of who God is. It's humbling to realise that. But secondly, God's incomprehensibility should thrill us. I wonder if you've had the experience of listening to a song for the first time and thinking, wow, that song was incredible. I just wanted to listen to it again and again and again and thinking, I'm never going to tire of this song until the next week when you think... I'm sick of that song, I'd never want to hear it again. There comes a point, doesn't there, where we get bored of um, songs. Or, or what about a possession that you receive, maybe something at Christmas, and you rip off the wrapper and think, this is the thing that's going to satisfy me. I'm never going to get bored of this. But we find in the space of a few weeks, the veneer is worn off. In the space of a few years, it's in the cupboard or it's um, at the tip. How tired and bored we become of created things. And so we sit on board panda looking for something to do. But just consider the truth of God's incomprehensibility with me, that we will never grow tired of God because there is always more to learn and everything we are yet to learn about him is thoroughly good. Thoroughly good. Now and for eternity we will spend our time wading in the deep ocean of the knowledge of God. Isn't that a thrilling prospect? So may God give us many more years Of growing in the knowledge of Him until we spend eternity in His presence with new things to learn about Him as every day passes. We will never be bored in heaven because our God is incomprehensible. He's a God who we can know truly through His Son, through the Scriptures, but who we will never know fully. I'm going to lead us in a prayer. It's a prayer from um, a book called His Love Endures Forever. So I'm going to read some of the the words from that book um, and I've slightly adapted them Um, and I think this will help us to reflect on what we've been seeing together. So let's pray as i lead us. Heavenly Father, I confess that I am small and sinful in your eyes. Yet you have given your Son as prophet to make yourself known to me. In seeing him, I have seen you. You have given your Spirit to breathe the Scriptures and to open my eyes. In them you speak to me in terms I can understand. I ask that you would forgive me for the ways in which I have fashioned you in my own image. Help me to listen to your word and not to my own head, to rejoice that you have made yourself known, and to delight to hear you speak through your Son and your Spirit. Fix my eyes and thoughts on Jesus. And fix my eyes on the future, where I will spend the rest of eternity thrilled in the presence of your immeasurable greatness. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.